welcome to the New Life Fellowship podcast. New Life Fellowship is a community of grace in Kitchener, Ontario, Canada. Our goal is to teach and share and experience the life of Jesus Christ together. You're about to listen to a message from one of our meetings. Please make sure to check out our website, newlifekw.ca. Without further ado, let's listen in. Do you remember when you were a child and you're growing up and people always ask you the question, what do you want to be when you grow up? Right? What, what were you dreaming of when you, when you became, <clears throat> finally became an adult? I remember for me, uh, I grew up in, a, in an age before, you know, long before digital photography and social media where all of our memories are recorded on, on Facebook and such. So my parents, and by my parents, I mean my mom, bought each of us, uh, each of my, my brothers and my sister, these little uh, photo album scrapbooks. And it was meant to kind of document our years through you know, school, all the way from you know, JK up to high school. And, and it was organized in a scrapbook way in that you would have a photo from your class photos and, and then you would have, uh, you know, place for your report card in a little pocket, but then to have questions. And the questions were, were fairly similar. Who is your, your best friend, for example? And Michael Taylor always won that one. He was always the answer to that question. And uh, other questions like hobbies and so forth. But one of the questions they ask you is, what do you want to do or what do you want to be when you grow up? And so when I was really, really little, uh, the, the answers there were the very, very unlikely, uh, I want to be Superman or Batman, because I just loved all things superhero. But I say it was very unlikely because I didn't have any superpowers. Uh, namely, I was not an alien uh, that was powered by the sun, nor was I super rich. So the likelihood was very unlikely. So as I got older, though, then the answers began to change. It became uh, being a goalie for the Toronto Maple Leafs. A dream that I, I still would love to fulfill. And, um, you know, Kyle Dubas, if you're watching, I, I can do it. Put me in, coach. I'll, I'll do it. So that was the dream, being a goalie. Because let's face it, what's better than being hit by a piece of vulcanized rubber at 100 miles per hour? I love it. Sign me up for it, right? So that was uh, on there. And then uh, the as I got older again, it would become a race car driver or, or automotive engineer something that I did get to experience uh, uh, for a little bit after I graduated, actually. And so I'd have that. And, you know, interesting enough, what was not on there, never in my wildest dreams, was it to be a pastor one day. And yet, here I am and, and loving it every minute. If you ask me today, though, what my dream would be when I grow up, I would love to grow up. When I grow up, I love to be Barry. And when I mean that, I mean pre-retired Barry. I mean, I, that, that was really cool. And post-retired Barry, he's a little softer now. So, oh, look at that. Officer down, shots fired. Sorry about that, Barry. In all truth, post-retired Barry could still take me down pretty quickly. Um, nonetheless, growing up is something we all look forward to do and something we're all continuing to do. We're all still maturing. We're all still growing up. And that's a good thing because the reality is uh, maturity is something required in all of us. I mean, think about it. When you, when you look at the world, look at your part of the world, whether it be at work or at home, uh, look at the world on the global scale, whether we look at our politicians and government leaders and so forth. Think about how often we thought or or have commented on if they would just grow up. If, if people would just show some maturity, so many of our problems would begin to disappear. And, and so maturity is really required. It's really necessary in, in healthy situations. And maturity in a group can only happen if the individuals within that group are mature. 
And so really, that's what we want to see is what is God doing? How is God going to bring that maturity into our own lives? So let's read our passage that we're going to study this morning. So we're, we're going to start in Ephesians uh, chapter 4. We're going to start in verse 11. We're going to focus on verses 13 to 16. But I want to read verses 11 and 12, what we've been studying these last number of weeks together, to kind of see how it all flows together how God is going to use the church, he's going to use the various leaders within the church to achieve his goal, and that goal is bringing maturity in our hearts. So let's look at the passage. Ephesians 4, verse 11 begins there. It says, And and he gave some as apostles, and some as prophets, and some as evangelists, and some as pastors and teachers, for the equipping of the saints, for the work of the service, to the building up of the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith, and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. As a result, we are no longer to be children, tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful scheming, but speaking the truth in love. We are to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ, for whom the whole body, being fitted and held together, by what every joint supplies, according to the proper working of each individual part, causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. Well, let's pray. Father, we, uh, we're excited that we get to be together again. And even if it's virtually, for, for many of us, we get to, to hopefully hear from you this morning. And so I pray, Lord, that you would be the teacher, that you would speak through me, and that we would experience this hope, this knowledge that you're doing something, you're working in our lives, and we will begin to discover what it is that you're wanting to bring about in each and every one of us. So thank you, Lord, for just the opportunity to call you Father, to call you brother, and to be joined to you. In your name we pray, amen. Well, a concept that is, is widely taught, I would say, in the church today is this idea of progressive sanctification. And so here's, here's what that means. The, the idea is that when you arrive here on planet Earth, you arrive here uh, broken in a broken world. And, and what that means is more than just being broken, you arrive here as a sinner. And, and what that means as a sinner, it doesn't mean that you only do evil things. I mean, it's not like you're always, you know, bullying and you got anger problems and you're rat, writing dirty things in a bathroom stall or, you know, that sort of thing. You, to be a sinner meant really that you're, you're disconnected from God. You're separated from God. And so you're, you're opposed to God and living in rebellion towards him in his ways. And so that's really what it meant to be, to be a sinner. And that's how we all arrived here on planet Earth. But then you reach a moment where you recognize that and you, you don't want that anymore. It doesn't provide the same thrills and excitement and it's not satisfying. And so you want something more. You crave something more. And so what God offers us now is this gift of salvation. And here the, in the gift of salvation, what we're doing is we're essentially, instead of being rebellious towards God, we're choosing to allow God to be in authority over us. We're choosing for him to be our Lord and our Savior and to let him rule that we might experience life in him and from him and with him. And again, it, it didn't matter what you did before. It didn't matter how many times you did it and didn't matter that who you did it with. It was come to Jesus just as you are. That was this beautiful idea 
So in that moment, you could have been hung over from the night before. Uh, you could still be wearing the watch that you store that you stole. You could be wearing socks and sandals. It did not matter how you were dressed. It doesn't matter, again, what you did the night before. It doesn't even matter even what you were feeling that day. It was literally come to Jesus just as you are, and he would love you, he would accept you, he would embrace you, and he would forgive you and all of your mess, everything, everything. That's how good this gift was. But now, so according to the common lingo that we would use in Christianity is, and you got saved in that moment, that you became a forgiven sinner is typically what's used. And, and while it's okay to come to Jesus just as you are, now you got to get working. Now you got to get, get cracking. Now you got to begin this journey of progressively becoming more holy, more righteous, more sanctified. That's what the, that idea is. And that idea of progressive sanctification or progressive holiness really would come down to all of your choices, all of your behavior, and your ability to avoid sin and do good things. The problem is that idea of progressive sanctification, though, it, this idea of progressively increasing in your holiness and your righteousness, it contradicts what Scripture so consistently talks about. You see, Scripture constantly refers to this idea that what you and I possess, what we have in Jesus Christ, is 100% complete. It's 100% finished. That's why you are 100% fully righteous. You can't add to the righteousness that you possess today that same righteousness that you possess the moment of salvation. You can't add to it, but nor do we need to add to it because, again, it is 100%. It's finished. It's the very righteousness and holiness of God that has been given to us. Hence the reason on the cross, Jesus, when he's up there, he says, it is finished. It's done. Loosely translated, it says, there's nothing left for you and me to accomplish. There's nothing for you and me to do. It's already been done by Jesus on that cross. So we have a verse such as Hebrews 10 and verse 14, where it says, by one offering for all time, for all time, he has perfected you and I. It's not something that needs to get done. It's something that is completely done. But again, that's not necessarily what's commonly taught, right? The common thinking is your holiness, your, your sanctification, your, your acceptance, even to the degree of, that you being a saint is attached to what you do. It's attached to your performance. And let's face it, none of us, none of us perform 100% perfectly all the time, right? We, we have a life filled of examples of bad, sinful choices, like secretly listening to Enrique Iglesias. So we have all kinds of sin in our lives from time to time. And so when we see that, it's hard for us to accept, are we actually as fully righteous? Is our identity in Christ that rock solid? Or do I need to add something? Do I need to, to, to work towards it? And so there's this, this tension here that seems to be on the surface, that I'm perfect in Christ, but I don't live perfectly, and, and yet I, I need to, to grow in all this. And so what theologians have done is they've come up with this phrase to try to deal with this apparent contradiction, and they talk about this tension that is between the already and not yet. So that you're already righteous in God's books in heaven and how he sees you, but you're not yet actually righteous here on earth because look at your behavior. And so they have this, this tension of the already and not yet. The problem is that that tension is, is manufactured because it, there's a flaw in their thinking. See, 
Let's take a look at a verse in Philippians chapter 3, in verses 12 to 16. We're going to see Paul kind of presents to us um, uh, this idea, What I think what they've come away with, this apparent contradiction or this tension. In verse 12, Paul says this, Not that I've already obtained it, or that I've already become perfect, but I press on so that I may lay hold of that which for which also I was laid hold of by Christ Jesus. Brethren, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet. He's talking about his righteousness. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to that what lies ahead. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. So it seemed that maybe he's not talking, maybe he's not yet perfect. There is that not yet aspect. But then he goes and he says, let us therefore as many as are perfect have this attitude. For if in anything you have a different attitude, God will reveal that also to you. However, let us keep living by that same standard to which we have already attained. So it's not a not yet. It's not this idea that you don't yet have it. The reality is we already have everything. So this, this tension only exists because there's a flaw in that your holiness or your sanctification or your acceptance or your approval or how good you are is somehow connected to your behavior, somehow connected to what you do. And that's not the case. And so it's not this idea that you are progressively becoming holy. You're progressively becoming more righteous. You're progressively becoming more sanctified. That's not how it works. It's not how the new covenant works. The new covenant says God did it all. And he's granted to you everything at the moment of birth, at the moment of your new birth. And it's because the reality is who you are and your identity is independent of what you do. <clears throat> Let me give you this example. Suppose I start to bark like a dog and I start chasing cars while they drive by and I start peeing on fire hydrants and so forth. Does any of that make me a dog? No. I mean, it, it gets me arrested and put in a little padded room, but aside from that, it never changes the fact that I am a human male. That's who I am. Regardless of how I act, I can't change who I am because I was born that way. <clears throat> in the same way, you and I, we were born as a saint. We were born in Christ. We are born as a new creation. And yes, I will make bad choices from time to time that are contrary to who I am, but none of that can change who I am. And so that's what's so beautiful is you're already complete in Christ. You've already been made as righteous and holy as you ever need to be, and you can't add to it because it's the very righteousness and holiness of Jesus Christ himself. And yet, we'd be foolish to acknowledge that, that I'm changing and that I'm making better cho choices today than I was 5, 10, 15, 20 years ago. And that the longer I walk with God, the more I'm getting to know him and the more better choices I'm making. And so there is growth, but this growth is not a progressive change. The image here that Paul's using and the idea is one of maturing. So I think we need to understand that this idea that, that we're not called to change ourselves. Instead, we're called to grow. So let me put it this way, and I, and I have a slide for us to, to really drive home that point. What does maturity? Maturity means growing into who you are, not becoming someone you're currently not. Let me read that again. Maturing means growing into who you are, not becoming someone you're currently not. So again, the reality is when you were born again, you are made this new person. 
And now we're growing into that person. I've shared this illustration before, this example, but I think it just does a, a, such a great job of describing what, what, what really happens to you and I. And it was the moment when my oldest, when Hannah was born. And, and you know, she comes out of, out of joy and she's literally seconds old. And, and there's the, the doctor and the doctor and the nurse hand handed to me. And I'm holding her in my arms. And, and I remember thinking, looking down on this little girl who is literally less than a minute old and having the thought, in my arms, I hold a complete woman. She is 100% female. And, and since that moment, she has been maturing and growing and getting older. And it's beautiful to watch and it is terrifying to watch. But she's not more of a woman today than she was when she was born. She's not no more female than she was when she was born. She's always been female. And she's maturing and growing into all of that. And that's the same way it is for you and I in terms of salvation. The moment you're born again, the moment you receive Jesus Christ and you enter into salvation, you become holy and righteous. You become the new creation. Now what's happening is you and I were on this journey of maturing, of growing up, of, of growing bigger and discovering more of who we are in Jesus. Now, I got to be careful here because as we start talking about maturity, what often happens is we start to, we start to compare. We start asking questions such as, well, am I, am I mature enough? Does God think I'm mature enough? Man, I, I'm still struggling with some of the sins that I had, you know, before salvation. I just can't seem to overcome these sins. And, and, and man, what's wrong with me? And so we start looking for standards to measure ourselves against. And again, those standards are all related to our performance, unfortunately. And so what we do is we start even comparing ourselves to other people. How do I compare against, against Ian or uh, against, uh, against Cheryl or, or against, uh, you know, your people at work or your, you know, other people? We start to compare ourselves. And, and what ends up happening is we start picking and choosing, well, what are the standards that really matter? And if I choose standards that I become really good at or I'm really successful at, all that does is just lead to, to more self-righteousness and self-justification. Or if I choose standards that I'm struggling at, it just becomes a tool of the enemy to beat me up and tear me down and experience more self-condemnation. In either scenario, I'm set up to fail because I'm looking at the wrong things to evaluate maturity. See, God's not primarily concerned with your behavior. He knows the behavior is the product of something else, the product of that maturity he's wanting to bring in us. And so maturity is more than just trying to make me into someone else. And that's so good. That's so good. Because see, the reality is, as much as I admire someone like Pastor Greg, and I do, I really do, and all joking aside, I really do admire Pastor Greg and his maturity. But I'm not called to be like him. I'm not called to be like, like Marco or, or like Jim or anyone else. That's, that's not what God's trying to make me into. He's already got those people. Instead, what's beautiful about this because of my union with Jesus, because he lives in me, what God is most interested in and what he's trying to do is mature me into who I really am, which is Christ and Ross. That's what he's bringing out. So that I can, I can admire people, but he's not trying to make me into those people. Instead, he's trying, to, he's trying to get me just to be me and to be the best version of that, and that comes with maturity. 
See, our, our standard, our goal really is taking on the character of Jesus who I've been joined to. That's the best version of me. Let me, let me illustrate that to you. In, in Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 13, in the, in the verse we're looking at, look at what he says here. He says, Until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a mature man. So there, again, their idea of maturity. And that a mature man really is this idea of, of completeness, of perfection. And so we're, we're building towards this idea of maturity to the measure of the stature. And that, that phrase, measure of stature, actually references or refers to maturity. So we're, we're going towards this mature man, the measure of the stature, which belongs to the fullness of Jesus Christ. Or we have another passage like Romans 8, 28 and 29, a, a famous passage. Where Paul says, and we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God. To those who are called according to his purpose, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his son, so that he would be the or he would be the firstborn among many brethren. See, God's plan for maturing us, what that means, what that looks like, is we're being conformed into the image of Christ. We're, we're taking on his character. You see, it's not, it's not that I now to, need to go live like Jesus. That's not it. Because the reality is, I can't live like Jesus. Jesus is God. I'm not called to be God. I try to live like God from time to time, but it's not good. It doesn't end well for anyone around. And so he's not calling me to live like Jesus. Instead, he wants Jesus to live through me. And that happens as I take on that character of God. See, think about it this way. In the garden, God's original intent in creating Adam and Eve in that garden was he made man, male and female, he made them in the image of himself, in the image of God. And then they went and they marred it, they destroyed it by eating from the no-no tree, but God didn't give up on that plan. Instead, all he's been doing is he's been restoring us towards that plan. And that's what salvation was to bring about. And now he's maturing us, we're growing up, taking on more and more the character of Christ, becoming who you really are. So what does, what does maturity look like then? That's why I want to spend some time this morning kind of examining. And so we've, we've got some statements that I think kind of uh, summarize that. And so the first statement is this idea that what maturity looks like, it's intimacy with Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And that intimacy that's allowing Jesus to live through you and I on a consistent basis. And, and so we got, we got to think of it this way. Maturing in Christ is not like maturing with our kids. See, how, what does maturing with our kids look like? Our, our kids, when they first arrive here on planet Earth, they arrive here completely dependent upon us, right? I mean, you got to feed them. You got to change them. You got to wipe their bum. You got to carry them around places. I mean, they are living diva lifestyles right? You got to do everything for them because they just, they just fall down. Can't even hold their net, their head up, right? They're just, they're so dependent upon mom and dad. But as they grow older, they start to become more responsible. They become more independent, meaning they're able to start to feed themselves. They're able to move around and walk. They're, they're able to dress themselves and change their, you know, wipe their own bum and, and change their underwear and so forth. They're able to do things on their own. I still remember the day when, when uh, our kids could buckle themselves into the car seat on their own. Oh, what a glorious day that was. I kid you not, Joy and I, we celebrated. 
because climbing into the back seat and doing all that, I mean, we celebrate as our kids get older and they become more and more independent from mom and dad. But that's not like what maturing in Jesus looks like. Because in maturing in Jesus, it's, it's the reverse. You see, you think about it. When you first come to Jesus, you came all independent. I can do it. Do it my own way. Do it myself. And what we're learning to do is we're learning to become dependent on Jesus. We're learning to trust him more and more. Remember what Robin shared last uh, a few weeks ago, talking about coming to Jesus as a child, coming to him in a, in a childlike way where we're trusting him and depending upon him. Because see, understand this, that childlike is different than childish. We're not called to be childish. We're called to be childlike. So my, my friend Frank, he likes to kind of put it this way. He says that you and I were called to be childlike with God. And the more childlike with God we are, the more adult-like we can be with other people. But the more adult-like we are with God, the more childish we are with people. See, the more we're able to trust Jesus and depend upon Jesus, the life of Jesus comes out of us and that loves those around us. We can be adults with people. We can treat them with respect. We can have healthy boundaries. We don't get thrown around by them. But when we become adult with God, I can do it. It's up to me. I, I, I'll figure it out on my own. The more childish we become with other people, fighting and, and biting and attacking and, and being uh, insensitive, insecure, and, and, and just acting like a three-year-old with those around us. So we're not called to be childish, but we're called to be childlike. And the more childlike you are with God, the more mature you are in your faith with him. All right, next statement. The maturity, what it looks like is it looks like viewing ourselves and others. We view ourselves and others from God's perspective. That's what mature people do. Meaning that we're, we're, we're beginning to let God define us. We're defined by what Jesus accomplished on the cross. Not by our successes, not by our failures not by our past, not by our dreams, not by our bank account, not by our friends, not by anything that we do. We're defined solely by what Jesus has done. And, and when we begin to understand that, it's, that's the only thing that can silence the voice of shame. And the voice of shame is, is asking the question, are you doing enough? Have you done enough? Are you too much? Are you, are you sufficient? Are you capable? Do you have what it takes? Are you really loved? Are you really clean? Are you really pure? We have all these questions and shame just attacks us over and over and over again, saying you're never going to be enough. You're broken, you're flawed, you're dirty. If they only knew. But the cross says you are new. You're someone different. The old is dead and buried and gone, and the new you is perfect. 100% of the time. Even when you don't act perfectly, you're still perfect. You're still loved. And the cross says that God will never abandon or forsake you. He loves you perfectly, entirely, completely loves you as a person. And so it begins to change who we are, and that silences the voice of shame, but it also begins to change how we view other people. Because see, if that's true of me, then what does that say about my spouse who also is in Jesus? To the same degree that I'm loved and accepted, 
So is my spouse. So are my friends. So are the people I work with. Well, what about those who aren't saved? What about those who aren't in Jesus? Well, the beautiful thing is, for God so loved the whole world, right? And in 2 Corinthians 5, he says, I don't count the sins, the sins of the world against them. So we don't have to either. Allowing us to, to freely love those around us. And so what you see in mature people is just this, this contentment and this peace and this confidence in who they are. They're not running around striving to become something else. There's just a confidence, an inner peace towards that. And again, it's not that shame stops speaking, but they don't have to listen to shame anymore. They can silence the voice of shame pointing to the cross. And we're maturing in that. It's not that you just flip a switch one day and it all takes on. It's something we grow into. We're maturing into, growing up into. The next statement about mature people is they're loving. Loving God, loving themselves, and loving others. And, and so this idea of, of loving is, is more than just a feeling. Loving is an action, and it's an action that really is a product of understanding who we are in Jesus. As we start to understand who we are in our identity and how loved we are, it compels us to love him back, right? We, we love him because he first loved us. And so knowing that, we're able to love him back. We're able to love ourselves. We're able to accept ourselves. As John Lynch likes to say it, even on our worst day. No matter what you're going through, you can still love and accept yourself. And again, we can love other people. We can love it as an action, doing what's in another person's best interest. I think this is what Paul was, was getting at when he was talking about in 1 Corinthians 13, when he, he says, when I was a child, I used to, to think like a child, and I used to ask, speak like a child and reason like a child. Think about these childish, not childlike, but childish people. They're very self-centered. It's all about themselves, and what do I get out of the deal? But mature people have set that aside. They've grown up from those childish ways. And while they're still childlike with God, they're able to be adult-like with other people. And now they're able to, to love people. It's not all about me. It's not all about myself. I, I, I love this, this idea that, you know, I, I'd summarize maturity this way, that it, you know, when you first arrive here on planet Earth, it is all about you. That's how you view the world. And then you begin to discover at salvation, it's not all about you, it's all about God. And then we start to discover that, that God's bigger than us. But as we mature, you'll discover because it's all about God, he's made it all about you. That he died for you and, and he, he included you in Jesus' death and he made you holy and he made you righteous and he's joined himself to you because he loves you that much. He's obsessed with you, it says in Psalm 139. And so we mature and begin to understand because it's all about God, he's made it all about us. But it doesn't stop there. As we continue to mature, we discover because God's made it all about us and he's loved me and he's accepted me, I can now make it all about others. Not to the point where I, I become some martyr and I burn out for other people, but, but now trusting Christ and the life of Jesus in me, I can make it about other people and love others and be willing to lay down my life and sacrifice for the benefit of others. And that's what maturity begins to bring upon Another statement, what maturity looks like is we become dependable. 
We become a, a person of integrity. So what, that, what does that mean? Is maturity begins to understand what your limits are. That I can't, I can't be all things to all people. Uh, it's not called to just burn myself out in terms of loving other people because God's got a whole church of people to do that. He doesn't need just one person. He doesn't just need me or just you. He's involving the whole church. The question is, what part are you going to play? And sometimes God's going to use me, and sometimes he's going to say, I want you to sit this one out because I, I want to use someone else. I, I, I want to use a Peter. I want, to, I want to use a Janice. I want to use someone else to minister through them so that they benefit from that. And so mature people know, know their limits. Play within it, I guess, so to speak, right? Is they, they, they don't overcommit themselves. And, and with that, they, they do what they say they're going to do. And so that becomes important. They become people of integrity, people of honor, people of valor. Which means that they don't just abandon relationships because they're, they're difficult and they're rocky. That, that they will be willing to lay down their life for that person as long as that person is willing. If the other person is not willing, then as Jesus said to his disciples, you, there is a point where you sometimes need to you know, shake off to stand in your sandals and, and walk away. Because you don't keep throwing your, your, the pearls before the swine. If they're not willing to receive it, that's okay. But just because it's hard, just because it's messy, mature people don't walk away. Mature people see that messiness and go, there's something else going on here. I need to engage. I need to, I need to try to figure out what's happening here so I can, I can speak to this person. I can love them. Well, that leads us to the, the next aspect of maturity. And mature people are patient, and they're understanding, and they're not easily shaken. In our verse, Ephesians 4, 14, it talked about not being like children where you were tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine or by trickery of men and craftiness of deceitful scheming, but speaking truth in love. Can you think about immaturity? Immaturity, the circumstances cause us to be blown around so easily. When, when things get difficult at home or things get difficult at, in, in job or, or even in this world with COVID, we're, we're easily overwhelmed when we're immature. But as we become mature, as we grow in who we are and gain confidence in Christ living in through us, we're not easily shaken. The circumstances don't determine our joy. The circumstances don't determine the hope that we have. The circumstances don't, don't determine the peace that we experience because that's rooted in Jesus Christ who lives in me. Instead, Instead, I get to experience life in Jesus and be, be an anchor for other people, be a person of stability. I, I'm not easily swayed by what this world and this culture offers me. I'm confident in the Word of God. I'm growing in my knowledge and understanding and what, what the Word of God speaks. And what that does, the more I understand the new covenant, the more I understand what Christ has accomplished and Him living in me and trusting that, it allows me to speak truth but watch it, he qualified it in love. So sometimes I need to stand up and I need to confront those who, are, um, who are, aren't teaching what's true. Sometimes I need to confront the, this world because this world is leading me away from Jesus as best they can. They're trying to offer me anything but Jesus, be it other religions, be it, be it faith in myself, faith in this world, faith in a government, faith in, in other people. And I need to recognize that's not it. 
And so sometimes I need to, to confront someone and I speak truth, but I always speak truth in love, doing what's in another person's best interest. And so you see that in mature people. Immature people might speak truth, but there's no love. Or they might be loving, but there's no truth. Mature people understand how to combine both. And then our last statement here about mature people, mature people are vulnerable and they're humble. Now, vulnerable, let me, let me explain. Vulnerable is not the same as transparent. See, transparent just allows you to see what I want you to see. So I'll tell you stories about my life and where, where things are struggling and so forth. But, but transparent is, is basically the equivalent of an Instagram um, channel. You think about Instagram or even Facebook or all those, uh, even Twitter and social media. Basically, what you're doing is you are curating, you are controlling what the public sees of your life. So you will set up the shot. You will set up the lights, the angle. You will clean up things around you and you will say, this is what I want you to see and nothing else. That's transparent. It's a controlled look. I remember a number of years ago, Joy, when we were homeschooling, Joy posted a picture of, of our kids. And I think Caleb was all dressed up in, you know, he had a cape and pajamas and a mask on and everything and looked real cute as a little superhero. And, and so Joy took a picture and, and posted that to Facebook. And another mom looked at that and she didn't see the beautiful picture of Caleb all dressed up. She saw everything behind and everything behind looked clean. And she commented on Joy. She said, how is it that you have five kids and your house is clean? My house is not clean. I only have two kids. Well, it wasn't like the house was actually cleaned or clean at the time. We have five kids. It was just so happened that that, that angle presented a clean shot. Well, I love what Joy did. She immediately grabbed her phone again and she you know, took three steps and angled the, the camera at the stairs where there was like three piles of laundry just thrown there. And she posted that picture and says, my house is not clean. That's now being vulnerable now in the sense of, more vulnerable at least, in that you're, you're showing messes of people. But real vulnerability even goes deeper than that. Real vulnerability then allows people to speak into our lives. And that's, that's what mature people do. They're not afraid to allow other people to speak into their lives. They're open. They're willing to be teachable. Because mature people know how much more maturing they need, that they haven't arrived. I mean, if the Apostle Paul hadn't arrived in that way, then none of us have. And so you've got permission to continue to mature. And so we understand that. And that's even beginning to understand that and know that is, is a sign of maturing and growing up. That, that I still got some rough spots that God wants to work in me. And it's okay. And so there's a humility in there. There's a teachability in there. There's a vulnerability to allow other people to speak into our lives and continue to grow. And I'll tell you what, when we begin to experience this maturity, you experience more of the life in Jesus that you already possess. You experience that peace and that rest and that hope. And again, it becomes disconnected from the world around us. And what a beautiful testimony, what a beautiful light in a dark world that can be. So hopefully you're hearing that and you're going, that's what I want. I want more maturity. What's the steps? What are the, the four steps, five steps? What's the program? Where do I sign up? What's the book I read? And we're so tempted to make maturity all about our performance again. But I want you to look at and discover 
What's going to cause this growth? So we're going to look at a few verses. So going back to our passage, Ephesians 4 and verse 16, watch carefully. Look what it says. From whom, speaking of Jesus, being fitted and held together by every joint, from what every joint supplies, according to the proper working of each individual part, causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. So Jesus is the source. And he's going to use people, absolutely, but he's the one that's going to make it happen. He's the one that's causing it. Let's look at another verse, 1 Thessalonians 5, 23 and 24. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you entirely. That word sanctified literally just means made whole. It's the same idea of maturing. Again, it's, you're not becoming something different. You already are. You're growing and maturing. And so may he himself sanctify you, mature you, make you whole entirely. May your spirit, may your soul, may your body. He's not just talking a part of you. Your whole being be preserved complete without blame at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Watch this. Faithful is he who calls you, and he will also bring it to pass. He's the one that will preserve you. He's the one that will sanctify you. He's the one that's going to bring about this maturity. And then finally, Philippians 1 and verse 6, Paul says, For I am confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it in the day of Christ Jesus. Again, I, I find so much comfort in this verse. Number one, he's doing the work. And number two, the work is ongoing. The maturing is ongoing. And so what that means is that God's doing this maturing. He's doing it, and he's not finished yet. Does that mean I'm uninvolved? Absolutely not. Christianity is not a passive activity. It's not a passive recreation or a passive sport. It is a participatory sport. I'm engaged, but my engagement is not in my behavior. It's not what it's about. I would say it this way. Maturity has three ingredients. Number one, it's the Holy Spirit, plus trust, plus time, and that equals maturity. The Holy Spirit, Him doing the work, Him causing the growth, me trusting Him to do that, me relying and depending upon Him, and time. It, it's not going to happen overnight. It takes time as we, as we grow and as we mature. You know, I remember when I first started doing counseling and I was, I was mentoring under a man named Don Higgins and, and I was watching Don in, in awe and thinking, how does he know to use that verse? How does he know to, to, to say this or say that? How does he know that that's the issue that this person's struggling with? I, I didn't even see that was the issue. I thought this was the issue. How did he know? And, and really what it was, it just took time. It took experience. And so now people come and, and they're mentoring under me and they're, they're watching me and they're asking the exact same questions. And, and the answer is, it takes time. And so maturing happens by what God's doing as I'm trusting him, allowing that time. And what's beautiful about that now is, is, is you can offer yourself grace. You can offer yourself permission to know that this maturity is happening over time. That you are progressing, not growing and progressing in holiness or in your righteousness or your approval or your acceptance with God. That is done deal 100% complete. 
Instead, what's happening is you are growing and you are progressing in your maturity. You're growing up. God's working it out through you. But he is working. And so give him time. Allow him to bring it to pass. Allow him to make it happen. All he's asking of you and I is to trust him, to depend upon him, to depend on who you are, who he's made you already, and to trust and depend that life that he's placed inside you, his life, to get out moment by moment. And also then, not only apply that grace to yourself that you're a work in progress, but please, please apply it to everyone else. Recognize that, that others are maybe more mature or less mature than you are. And that's okay. That's where they're at. Now, maybe, maybe they've been a Christian for longer than you are, and they ought to be more mature by now. Maybe, but that's not where they're at. So offer them grace in their journey. Offer them grace knowing that they are maturing, that at times they will act like a, a childish four-year-old and they'll act immature at times. And that you know, maybe they need to be corrected. And again, you can speak truth and love in those moments, but, but please accept them. Please love them because they're on a journey of maturing and growing just as you and I are. And when we do that, this body of Christ comes together in a powerful way and offers us a, a safe place to grow, a safe place to offer up our struggles, offer up what we're going through rather than hiding them and trying to conquer them my own, which only leads to greater failure and bigger problems down the road. Let me pray. Father, we thank you that we can trust you to, to mature us and to grow us. We thank you that you're doing this work and that we're not becoming something different based on our performance. We don't have to strive and work for it. It's already done. Instead, Lord Jesus, we get to now live and work from resting and knowing who we are, knowing that you're living in us, knowing that that is what's going to bring about this maturity. And I look forward to looking back on my own life in and, and three, four, five years and celebrating the growth that you brought about. In your name we pray. You've been listening to the New Life Fellowship Podcast. Thanks for joining us. For more great content, please be sure to check out our website, newlifekw.ca, and sign up for our mailing list. Subscribers will receive our The Life in the Apartment ebook that is sure to encourage and bless. Don't forget to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and subscribe to our YouTube channel to watch the latest services and additional video content. New Life Fellowship is a registered charity that is supported by the giving of partners and friends. All donations will be received. If you would like to donate, donate at newlifekw.ca. Your giving is highly valued and appreciated. You are loved. Take care.